thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Back Chat, exploring the five pillars of health, thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also your neurology with Dr. Paul Bogamo. Welcome to Back Chat. My name is Paul Bergamo, and it's great to be here in our next podcast. Back Chat is about being your best. It does this by exploring the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also in neurology. Today's Back Chat will cover the pillar of moving. Tonight, my special guest on Back Chat is sports chiropractor Dr. Luke Nelson. Luke has been in private practice at Chiropractic Solutions in Bentley East since graduating from RMIT in 2003. His postgraduate qualifications in sports chiropractic include an international certified chiropractic sports diploma, a postgraduate diploma in sports chiropractic, and a master's in sports science. Luke has involved in a number of organizations, including finance chair of, of, of FIX, Education Chair of Sports Carpet Australia and Board Member of the Victorian State Branch of Sports Medicine Australia. Luke treats elite athletes from a variety of sports including athletics, cricket, AFL, mixed martial arts, triathlon, water polo, tennis and golf. Luke was recently awarded the 2016 Sports Chiropractic Australia Outstanding Service Award. An avid runner himself, Luke has completed multiple marathons, Ironman triathlons, and ultramarathons. Luke is co-director of Enhanced Running, whose purpose is to help people enjoy running and avoid injury through teaching running technique. Hey, Luke, how are you going? Very good, thanks, Paul. It's uh, it's um, been great to to be on the podcast. I'm a long time listener, so uh, it's it's great to be on the on the other side of things and and uh, talking about one of my uh, passions, and that's uh, that's running. Well, look, what do they say on radio? Long thir- long time listener, first time yeah. caller. That's what they often that's, say on, on radio. And uh, that's a, that's that's me today, mate. So very good. <laughs> great to be on the uh, on the other side of the mic. Fantastic. Look, I feel pretty exhausted just reading your bio. You've done just a <laughs> hell of a lot in a, in you know a really short period of time, two thousand and three. So you've been going fourteen years in practice, and yeah, uh, yeah. Sports yeah. has been your thing all along. Was it always going to be your goal in, from chiropractic, or what was? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd uh, sort of through through high school. I mean, I've always played a lot of sports and and uh, never at a high level, but I'd, I'd always enjoyed being active and and. Uh, yeah, just sort of found myself being being drawn to that um, as as I went through my studies and and just enjoy the, uh, the the continuing learning side of things as well. So there's there's uh, a lot to know and and um, that's that, that's uh, as the saying goes, the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. So it's it's been a yeah, been a great journey so far and and uh, look forward to, to many more years to come. And look, I'm really impressed by reading the fact that you've gone. You've gradually done further qualifications, you know, from postgraduate diplomas to masters. So you've you've sort of obviously got a thirst of knowledge, develop, achieve that, then move on to the next level. Is that the sort of feel of how you've taken your career? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I said, it's the the, uh, the continual learning side of things, and, and always uh, always wanting to improve myself. Is um, uh, enjoy enjoy that that challenge, and and uh, yeah, it's uh, I continue to do the uh, to do the same thing. Fantastic. Now, I'll just start off with a, with a sort of simple question. I mean, society now sees so many overweight and o- obese individuals. You can just go down to the local uh, locals, uh, shopping centre and you go to the food court and you see so many overweight and obese people in Australia. Now we're, we're sort of getting statistics that are now talking one in 
one in two, two in three, people at least being overweight and obese. And I look at running where, you know, running is something which obviously has a lot of calorie, uh, calories being burnt. Is this maybe a solution for helping some of our, our obesity epidemic right now, Luke, some of the work you do? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, as, as you said, you know, we're looking at, at the moment of the, the latest figures, I think it was about 60, 63% of, of Australians are, are uh, Australian adults are overweight or obese. Um, and that's, that's two in thirds. And um, probably more shocking was that 70 to 80% of middle aged men are, are overweight. Okay. Um, and uh, and even, even more sadly, you know, with a quarter of kids, you know, 25% yeah. of kids are, are overweight. Um, Part of the uh, part of this uh, is, is is also our levels of inactivity, um, and you know a lot of people aren't meeting those those activity recommendations at the World Health Organization. You know we, we're looking at as an adult, we want to be getting at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity or, or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity of physical exercise a week. So a lot of us are, are well off from that, and. Um, Running is is a fantastic way to, to get those those figures. It's it's um uh you know it's it's a it's a it's a cheap sport. You know all you really need is your runners and and you're out there and going. And, and in terms of the availability, you know don't, don't need any special tracks or anything like that. You can just get out there and, and run. Um, it, it forms a, also forms a, a pretty important part of a, lot, a number of uh, field sports as well too. So your crickets and your and your uh, your footy. So it's a great way to um, to, to get in shape and, and improve your your performance in, in those sports. So yeah, I think I think running is a, is a is a great uh, great window for, um, for, for for to help get that activity and, and help the um, the issues that we're facing today. So it's interesting. You mentioned some guidelines there. So it's 150 minutes of sort of vigorous activity. So that's really five by. Thirty-minute sessions, sort of per week, is and that has that been revised? Yeah, yeah for, sort of. Is uh, it, is not that I'm aware of. I think yeah. that the I'm not, I'm not actually sure when those figures were set, but it's 150, yeah. 150 minutes of moderate intensity. So, okay. uh, and and that's that would include your going out for a jog. Yeah. Um, Seventy-five minutes of, of vigorous intensity would be, uh, you know, that would be some some harder running in there, or or your team sports would would uh, would count as part of that. Okay. <clears throat> very good. Very good. Now, when we look at this, I suppose. People might think, okay, we're going to get out and just do some running and, and, and may have done it years ago, but there's certain certain boxes we have to tick, don't we, before we sort of get out there for your first run. Can you enlighten our back chat audience about some of those things? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So um, I guess there's a, there's a saying that I like and it, it's uh, you shouldn't run to get fit, you should be fit to run. And, and that, that implies that there's there's a number of things that uh, that you, you need to to tick off before you're, you're getting out there to run. Um, and just to go through some of the statistics, every time you with, with running, every time your foot hits the ground, it's, it's landing with two and a half times your body weight. Um, so for, for a 70 kilo adult, that's uh, that's landing at 175 kilos each, each foot strike. Um, and uh, each time we run, we're making a thousand thousand foot strikes per kilometre. And so, if you're doing 10, 10 k's, that's ten thousand foot strike foot strikes. And you do the math there; that's that's a lot of force that the body has to uh, has to try and attenuate. So, um, there's a number of things that that, that I like to see um, people being able to achieve that that then can make them more safely get out to run. 
Um, and, and some of these things that we'll talk about isn't aren't necessarily um, if you don't meet these, it's it's not a you cannot run. It's just a probably a sign that you need to need to speak to a, a health practitioner and and uh, get the all clear from them if that's something that you can uh, can then carry ahead with. Um, but but sort of the three things that that we need as a runner. So we, we, you need firstly need enough mobility uh, to get your leg behind you. So when you when you're running, um, so that's mobility usually in the hip, the knee, the ankle, and the, and the foot um, we also need some stability around the around the the core and the pelvis um, the and, and the hip and the foot in order to transfer the energy during running uh, and then we need some strength and power so and that's mainly generated around through the hip and through our glutes um, to drive the body the body up and, and forward um, so there's a couple of tests that, that I like to to use in, in clinic and also giving giving people to uh, to do this at home uh, so starting off with with our our mobility, uh, tests here. So there's three mobility tests I, I like to give. Um, the first one is, is we're starting from the bottom and work our way up. Uh, the first one is, is the our big toe. So looking at our, our big toe. Now when we run, we our foot uh, foot will roll off on our big toe as we're coming out the backside, um, and and that's quite an important um, part of, of generating uh, foot stability. So it helps us as us activate what's called the windless mechanism, and that uh, provides a rigid lever for us to push off on. So having that that mobility in the, in the big toe is, is important. Um, so what you can do as yourself is having your foot on the ground and actually just pulling your big toe up. And uh, and what we want to see is you want to see at least thirty degrees, um, being able to bend that upwards there, uh, but but 60 degrees is, is optimal. Um, the next test we've got is, is looking at our ankle flexibility. So uh, how we can do that is um, is we face a wall and standing with you, your feet about um, about nine centimetres, nine centimetres away from a wall, okay, and we're going to test one leg at a time. And what you want to do is you want to try and move your knee in towards that wall and uh, making sure that you keep your heel on the ground, okay, so we're trying to get that knee, knee in to touch the wall and we want to see that knee touching the wall there at, at nine centimetres. Um, if not, what you do is you creep your foot in and you keep doing it until you can finally, that knee can finally touch the wall and then you can take a measurement there. So so nine centimetres is the goal for, for our, on both sides. Um, the last one that we want to check is, uh, is our, our hip mobility and um, the way that we can do this and it's a bit hard to, to describe this one, but but I, I will. Uh, we can provide a link for that, and I've also got it on my um, my Instagram. But um, what you do is in a in a doorway, um, and you're kneeling on the ground uh, on one leg, um, and uh, and the other leg is is out in front of you. And what you do is you have your back flat up against the against the doorway there. And what you do is you sort of tilt your pelvis backwards, so you sort of flatten out the curve in your back. And what you sh- you shouldn't feel too much of a, a stretching through the front of the hip. Uh, if you do, that's a sign that there needs to be some um, some some work done on, on that uh, that hip there, some mobility work there. So they're sort of the, the three um, mobility uh, exercises that I that I'll give. Um, a lot of people use the uh, you know the, the, the toe touch, you know, bend down and touch your yeah. toes. Yeah. Um, that's not a great one for runners. In fact, it actually can be a benefit for, for runners. To have have those those tighter hamstrings through their backside, okay. uh, and in fact, uh, Rob D. Costello, who you probably well know, yep. but, but uh, for our listeners, as a as an Australian legend in in long distance running, yep. uh, Rob D. Costello was was quite uh, well known for um, barely being able to touch his knees. So, and he was okay. a uh, he was a very effective yeah. runner. So, very so that those tight hamstrings can actually help a runner out. So we don't tend to worry too much about uh, too much about that um, in terms of the running. Um, for other functions, it, it can be important. Um, so they're sort of the three. Three um, uh, mobility uh, boxes that we like to tick. 
Um, in terms of our strengths, so we're looking at, at strength. Um, these are some just some of the tests that, that I'll do in, in clinic and certainly not not, uh, not comprehensive these. But um, firstly, we want to check a single leg calf raise. Uh, so with that, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, turning in to face the wall and just having our hands up against the wall to provide a bit of stability. And on the one leg, we're going to raise up and down as, as many times as you can in a row. So just nicely, slowly up and down to touch and keep repeating that there until you can't do any more. Um, we want to see that uh, that get to uh, to 25 reps on each side and ideally within 10% of each other, so from comparing from left to right, so 25 and, and 10. Uh, the next one I'd like to, to test is the single leg bridge. Um, so that's looking at the at the strength around the, the hip and the pelvis uh, and also testing your, your core stability, if you want to call it that. Um, and that one's just uh, laying on your back. Uh, with with one leg bent and the other leg up off the off the uh, the floor, and you're just doing a single leg bridge. Um, same thing. We're going up and down at a nice slow, steady pace, uh, and we want to see that uh, get to 20 reps, um, and uh, with or within a 10% difference from side to side. Uh, and then the other one, other one to do as well is is a single leg sits to stand. So what we do is we sit on a chair. And you just shuffle forward just so that your butt's just touching the, uh, the front of the chair there. And all we do is we just have your hands on your hips and you stand up and you sit back down. And just same again, nice, slow, steady pace there. And uh, we want to get to uh, to 25 reps like that. And same again, about uh, about 10% different from side to side. So there are our three strength tests. So there's some, some things that our listeners can, can perform at home or health practitioners perform on their, uh, to test on their patients. Um, and um, you can quite often see uh, you know, quite different, quite a lot of fast differences between side to side, especially if, if the, the runner is injured. Um, and that's, not, that's something that can be a focus to their rehab. And for those that, that can't perform a test, well, you know what? The, the actual test can be the exercise. So people can't do it. They they can just keep repeating that test and, until they can uh, can reach those uh, those baseline measures. Wow, fantastic! So really, your, your assessment tool becomes the management tool. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, for the mobility, uh, the dorsiflexion one actually can be so that that checking the ankle ankle range of movement that that can be um, uh, a stretch in itself. Um, but there's certainly some other other ways that, um, that you can help to achieve that uh, achieve that mobility. You know, for someone who's very novice in running and spends a lot of his time at the gym, but really when you go, when I go outside, I, my sustainability is pretty poor. Yeah. What about that stuff between the years? I mean, that sort of mental power as well with running. I mean, that must be that is something which is just, I think, the the telling point is that when you're doing, when you've done some of your triathlons and marathons and those sort of things between the years, how what do you advise with that? Just broadly speaking, you know. How, yeah, look, at, it it does. Um uh, I mean, there's there's, uh, there's a good saying. If if um, if you can't, uh, especially on these some of these longer runs, if you can't sort out your issues in a, in a two hour long run, yeah. then, then you're never going to sort them out. So it certainly gives you a lot of a uh, lot of thinking time on these runs. Um, I mean, running is, is is an individual sport, but it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, people run in. Uh, there's plenty of running groups around, and, and people uh, you know get training partners, and and that can be good for, for chatting to each other. Uh, most of my running that I do personally, I, I do by myself and and i enjoy that side of things and it gives me some some time out and, yeah. and a bit of a uh, bit of meditation um that's why i usually listen to my podcast for you're usually going <laughs> through my ears on on, uh, on some of my runs well there um, you go so it's a good way to a good way to combine some um uh two of the things i love in, in running and and, uh, and and learning yeah um but um, but certainly yeah that that mental side is is uh, is a big one much like it is in in in, in any sport really um and it does require as a 
runner and as a as an individual uh, in any individual sport, it does require a lot of self motivation um, and um, and and a bit of grit. You know, some of these these events, these longer distance events and like marathons and, and Ironman, it's there's certainly times when you're uh, when your mind's asking you exactly what, why you're doing this and yeah. and, uh, and trying to tell you to stop. So it's it's a good challenge, and I think you know uh, certainly achieving those things can help uh, carry over into uh, to other aspects of life as yeah. well. Yeah, and I, I don't really think it's a really valid point. I think in the sense of if achievements like that, when you see when you hear of friends or people who've achieved just a marathon, times don't matter, do they? Really, and it's just an amazing achievement to just fulfil. That ability to achieve something like that is just a, a great, great achievement, just purely by itself. Let alone anything else around that. So it's just a reflection of the mind and the body, sort of conquering the the uh, the challenge, which is uh, really incredible. Now, of Absolutely, course, yeah. now when we look at you know we go from crawling to walking when we're young. Luke, but what about when we go from walking to running and then going beyond that? I mean, obviously, you're not, we're not going to be advocating people who, who perhaps maybe are overweight, for instance, who are listening to this to go straight into running. What are some uh, transitional steps or advice you give from those stages? Yeah, so, um, so going back into, into you know, what we've, we've spoken about before, so going through and checking that, uh, you know, ticking all those mobility and stability um, uh, prerequisites there. So I, I like people to have that um, before they begin running it. It just lessens their their, their chances of of, um, of getting injured, yeah. and that's obviously what we don't want. You know, we see a lot of people, and I've seen plenty of patients that you know get all enthused and, and starting into a new sort of exercise, and um, and they, they get injured. And the simple reason for that is they've done more than what their body can handle, um, and they, they have overloaded themselves. And this is that is a common fault that we that we do see in runners, and and we can speak a little bit about that. With with that overload, so um, most of the most of the, the injuries in running are, are chronic overload injuries. Um, you, you very rarely, you know, unless you've had a trip and a fall and you sprain your ankle or, or you know hurt your wrist, most of them are going to be overload injuries. So it's it's done more than what your body can take. So usually, what I, I recommend for people that are starting off. Um, running, that want to start running, uh, I recommend that they give walking a good go for if, if, if they're coming from absolutely nothing. I like to have at least sort of two or three weeks of, of walking three days a week, uh, and around that, that around that twenty minutes. Um, and then I've I've got a bit of a, a, a gradual return to, uh, to to running that I've I've used with with a lot of success with new runners and and also those coming back from a, a long term injury or a long term absence. Um, so the first week week one and uh, and this is something we can also put um, put in the, in a link somewhere. But sure. week one uh, I'll get people to do twenty minutes of brisk walking. So this is this is all these are done two to three times a week. So um, the second week we've got um, same again twenty minutes. So these are all twenty minute sessions. The week two, we've got one minute of running and then one minute of walking. So we're just alternating one minute run, one minute walk, one minute run, one minute walk, all the way to 20 minutes. Week three, we've got two minutes run, one minute walk. So we're increasing that, that running interval, keeping the walking the same. Week four, we've got three minutes run. One minute walk. Then week five, we've got four minutes run, one minute walk. Week six, we've got five minutes run, one minute walk. And then week seven, 
we're up to uh, up to 20 minutes uh, continuous um, and uh, and then I like to then from there you can um, you can proceed to adding uh, adding 10% a week um, with uh, with each of your with your, your total distance um, there's there's also alternatively there's a, there's a couple of um, of good apps that are, that are quite uh, quite popular um, there's a, uh, a an app and a program called couch to 5k um, and that basically guides the runner through uh, you just put in um, it's actually you just plug in when you want to start, and, and it uh, it spits out a program for you, telling you what you need to do for for week to week. And that it's pretty similar. It's a I think it does get you there in about seven or eight weeks, I think from from memory. Um, and then you can then graduate once you finish the five k app. You can then it then graduates onto the ten k app. So okay. it says, would you like to then build up to build up to ten? So it, it does it in a, in a pretty in a pretty good way. Um, I uh, yeah, the programming in it is is not too uh, not too excessive. So um, that that can be a, a great way to do it. And we can include the links to those couch to five k or just search search on the uh, on the in the app store. Um, um, C25, I think it is, but um, I've got the, uh, we can send the, put the links okay. in, in uh, later on. Um, interestingly, if anyone is looking to, to do that, there's actually a, a study running, running currently through uh, through La Trobe Uni, um, through Christian Barton's group, uh, and they're looking for uh, for volunteers to um, for people to, that are wanting to, uh, to to do a couch to 5K, uh, and perhaps we can include the uh, the link okay. to that, uh, that recruiting study as well too. Um just with that, that 10% rule, I mean, we, we often hear that 10% rule getting thrown around for um, for a lot of um, exercise programs, whether it be weights or, or running. Um, and and there, there's been a number of studies that, that have looked at that. Um, the most recent in runners was a 2014 study by Nielsen, uh, and they found that, uh, that those that were increasing their distances by or thirty percent um, were um, seemed to be more vulnerable to, to injuries, um, and so uh, compared to those that were, were increasing by ten percent, so ten percent is sort of um, holds up in the in the literature as well. Um, one of the other faults that that um, so aside from from building up too quickly, one of the other faults that that uh, runners will tend to do is they'll they'll run too hard okay. um, yeah. in in, the, in their sessions. And how we want to look at it when we look at a running program, we want to see eighty percent of, of of all your runs will be easy runs. So eighty percent. So it's it's quite it's quite a bit. And this can be really hard sometimes when you when you're uh, speaking to runners. They're like, oh, but you know, I've got to I've got to run hard. I've got to feel like I'm and I'm working Sweating. and building a sweat. Sweating. Um, you've got to sweat. That's, yeah. that's, that's exactly right, yeah. but with that, with that running, you know, there comes a high demand on the body, and if you if yeah. you're constantly doing that, um, then then you're going to find yourself with it with an injury. So eighty percent, eighty percent hard, twenty percent easy. Um, there was also a study by uh, Cellier back in two, uh, 2010, um, and they showed that that increasingly amounts of of higher intensity didn't. It didn't um, uh, result in, in any better outcomes, so uh, so that eighty twenty percent works. That works quite well. Yep. Um, so a lot of it, a lot of it runs easy. So that's that, that's sort of at a, at a conversation pace. So if you're running running with a with a mate, uh, you want to be able to, to hold that conversation for eighty percent of those uh, those runs, uh, and then that twenty percent can be made of out of a, where you want to do an interval session or or a hills session in there as well. Um, and, and, and realise that each each run you do should have a, should have a goal as well. So um, yeah. you know, there's one of the, the terms in running is uh, junk miles. You know, I'm doing junk miles, but um, uh, the, the you know even shorter runs at an easy pace. You know, they're either recovery runs or they're to help build your uh, build your aerobic capacity. Um, 
And when we talk about just going back to, to ramping up as well, there's been a lot of work done um, over the, and, and a lot of attention in recent years with um, some of the work that Tim Gabbett's done and he's been looking at what's called a, an acute chronic workload ratio. Um, and, and what this is looking at is it's basically looking at High, running high amounts is not necessarily the problem. It's actually how you get to that, that high amount, so how you ramp up to that. So if your body's used to doing nothing and then you all of a sudden just hit it with a, with a whole heap of running, well, that's, that's certainly a shock to your body and, and you run the risk of, of, uh, of getting an injury there. Um, there's actually there's a, a, the, through uh, Tim Gabbett's work, that they've found that, that um, with that ratio, so what you look at is you look at the average of the last four weeks compared to what you've done that week. So what okay. you've done that week is, is an acute acute workload. Yeah. What you've done the four weeks before is, is the chronic, and you want to look at the at that there. And the ideal ratio is anywhere between 0.8 and, and 1.5. And they've found that, the, that if you do too much, too much more in that week than you have averaged the weeks before. So if that skyrockets over over 1.5, then you do run an increased risk of, uh, of injury. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a, a good uh, calculator actually on uh, on Runners World, and we can put that up in the link as well, which allows you to put in your last three weeks of of, uh, of mileage. So say I've done you know 40 kilometres, 45 kilometres, and, and 50 kilometres for the week. It's it then will tell you in that uh, that fourth week um, you can work out around what you should do. To avoid that uh, that skyrocketing uh, skyrocketing up um Right. Now, the, the other thing that, that can help with with that is is um, um, is actually you know getting a coach and having someone to yep. to um, to actually to, to mentor you and guide you through and actually give you a program. So so those programs are before we mentioned with the the five and the and the ten k, they can be really good, but they certainly do have their limitations. Um, you know, I know, I know these days with with utilizing a coach it's not just for not just for elite runners but runners of all abilities can can use coaches um the the advantages for that is that you get your know, programming set for you yeah. um so that's you know based around your your um uh, your life and and uh, work commitments and family commits and that sort of thing um motivation um, we spoke about that before yeah, sure. um so having a, another party to to help you along and and uh and to, to pass on advice um accountability too as well so you know we all know we're like oh, i get home from work oh, i can't be bothered can't be bothered getting out for that run so having a coach can help keep you uh, keep you um, accountable and sticking to those goals um and, and just ensure that you, you're getting the most use of your time as well so you're not uh, not doing the wrong thing by by um uh, creating some programming yourself um i've used i certainly use coaches myself um and uh you know, i use the actually uh craig mottram who's a, a former yeah. australian runner yeah. um but um he uh, he runs a, a coaching uh, coaching business elite well-being so we can always put his uh, his email address there and and he coaches runners of, of all abilities okay. from from beginners to um to to the elites as well does, um, does typically a coach actually do the complete run with someone or with their actual no, client, or are they no, just they don't. They, assess? No, they'll just they'll, they'll tend to write the program for them, so they'll yep. sort of say, okay, Luke, this is what we're what we're doing the week ahead, and and sometimes that can be planning going from week to week. Other other times it can be here's yep. the next uh, next three weeks there, and we're going to um you know see how you go, and then relying on feedback that you're giving them, you could say, oh look, Craig, you know, the run today really not good, or you know I'm starting to come down with something and not not feeling so great. Um, um, and that's great because they, they then have will be able to to make adjustments. And one of the problems I see is that the people, if they miss a run for whatever reason, then they yep. try and play catch up. So it's okay. like, oh, I couldn't do my run today. 
oh, look, I'm just going to do it tomorrow or, you know, I'll cram, cram the runs in together. And that, that is a, that's a, a, another way that we can create that overload on our body and, and, uh, and become injured. Um, actually, a good example was a patient just I saw the other day, um, a young teenage girl, and um, she does pretty much all her running on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So she runs her entire week in, in, within those three days. Uh, and that's not, that's not ideal. We want to have... Uh, a day's rest in between. Yep. Um, she had no 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 programming, so she'd just run whatever she wanted when she felt like it. So some days, some weeks that might have been, you know, two Ks each run and other weeks it might have been five or seven Ks each run. And not surprisingly, that's why she was in with me. She was having yeah. uh, having some, some knee issues. So that was something we certainly addressed with her, with her uh, with her, her loading. So that's something that I really can't stress enough because, like I said, the majority of, of running injuries we see, uh, the biggest one are, are training, training errors. So yeah. people doing the wrong thing, people loading up too soon. Okay, gotcha. So I suppose if we start to talk about things like that and maybe even the running surface that you run on, you know. Mm, yeah, is yeah it, that's, is, that's a good question. How do you handle yeah, that one and a, what do you advise with that? And I suppose also novices to, I suppose, experienced yep. runners, is there differences there? What's, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, look, it, it's a really interesting one because um, traditionally, you know, the advice has been to get off the hard roads. Um, yep. But it, it might surprise the listeners to to uh, to hear that that running surface has not been shown to, to influence um, uh, running injury in the literature. Sure. Um, and you might ask, well, why why is that? But um, the reason is that your body tends to adapt to whatever surface you're running on. So, um, and, it, and it does that through a complex mechanism of altering leg stiffness. And now that's probably a theory that's a bit too complex to go into on, on this podcast. Um, but I think if our listeners just know that the research doesn't support that, um, that running on hard surfaces gives you injuries. Now, my recommendation for, for, for running surfaces is that um, firstly, avoid sand. So sand is a very compliant, soft surface and, and, and anyone that's running it knows it's, it's bloody hard. Um, um, so I, I tend to say avoid that for beginners. Um, advanced runners, it, it can it can be benefit um, for, for leg strengthening, but even then, it shouldn't be done over over uh, long distances. Um, but the other the, the other suggestion is, and the main suggestion is to mix up your surfaces. You know, on your runs, go, run on hard surfaces, soft surfaces. You know, concrete, bitumen, crushed rock, grass, just just okay. different things. Um, because because running is is so repetitive uh, that um, that it's 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 nice to throw that uh, that that variability into it. Okay, there you go. So, and I suppose is there, you know, with uneven surfaces. I mean, is that where a lot of risk of injuries can occur? If it's if it's not overloading, if it is it. More unevenness, if, from an, um, from from the environment perspective, not not from the person's perspective, but yeah, from the environment's perspective. Yeah, so so running on, I mean, uh, the classic example of that is is trail running. So trail running is is running, um, you know, off the roads and yeah. often on uh, sort of dirt tracks. It meanders up and down. You've got tree roots to jump over, um, and there's certainly the risk the risk of that with with having a fall or, or you know having an acute injury like an angle injury that doesn't happen that often. Um, and in actual fact, it, it can really be a, a very good stimulus for your body. It can be fantastic strengthening. Um, you know, I, I personally. Personally, I'll throw every you know every couple of weeks into my program um, running on uh, on some trails. I think it's 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 fantastic for building uh, building leg strength with the hills and the the um, yeah, yeah, meandering up and down. Um, so no, it actually doesn't. That unevenness okay. doesn't tend to to, uh, to to affect things so much. One thing I will say is if if you're constantly running on um, 
on a road that, that has got a, a camber in, in one sort of direction. Um, so if for whatever reason you're running on running on a road onto the uh, onto the, the shoulder there and it's constantly running down, if you're doing that for you know for 10 k's in, in one direction, well you could you could see how that, that could possibly um, give you some some issues. But running on trails where it's so different all the time, uh, not so much. Okay, gotcha. If I look at our gym where I go to, and I, if there's ten treadmills, and I, if I was to look at ten people running, there'd be such various running techniques. I mean, I'm certainly no expert, so but I could you could easily see that there's variations. So obviously, the running technique's important. What what, what sort of advice yeah. do you give here with our listeners? I'm yeah, it, it sure is. Running technique is is important. I mean, it, it's um, running is running is a skill. Contrary to what uh, what some people might say, you know, you just do it. Um, running is a skill, and, and and like any other skill, I mean, you take uh, take golf or, or tennis for that instance. You know, there is a there is a, a a better way to do things. I mean, anyone can pick up a golf a golf club and, and swing it and, and hit the ball, but there are better ways to to do that. Yeah. And it's the same with 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 uh, with. Um, running technique now exactly what you just said about you know you in the in the gym and, and watching everyone run everyone has their own way of their own style of running so there is not one ideal running technique you know there's not a, a technique that everyone should aspire to yeah. there's certainly characteristics of, of, of running technique um that uh, that everyone should should be a part of of their own technique uh, i mean it's it's always interesting to see We've all got our our own gait fingerprint, if you like. You know, you can often see someone from a long way away, and you can tell it's them just by the way that they're walking, well before you can actually see their face. So we've all got our own our own gait, and and um, so we, we we're never trying to aspire to one single thing, but more some um, uh, a couple of key points of, of running technique. Um, and and so if we, I suppose, if we go through what those what those those yeah. keys are. So yep. we go through a couple of those. I mean, the first first part of a good running technique. Is, is posture, and that's where things can things sort of start from there. Um, so ideal running posture is is being being tall. So thinking tall, if we, we imagine that there's a, a string attached to our head there, and it's basically lifting lifting us up. Um, the two common faults that we see with runners and, and posture is one they tend to really slouch forward. Um, and uh, and this this makes it a lot harder for the for the the, the lower body the legs to um to uh, to work and and uh, there's more chance of, of landing a lot further out in front of you and we can sort of explain a bit more about that too um so that's and the other the other extreme is is those that really arch their back too and that that does put quite a bit of load onto the uh, onto the low back so either two of those extremes actually either one of those extremes with forward bending or the arching backwards does can also you know those runners will often um, describe a lot of back pain after their run so posture we want a nice nice and tall and upright through there um, the next thing we, we want from that is our, our arm swing. Um, so what our arms should be doing. So we want to have nice and nice and relaxed shoulders. We don't want to see our, our, our shoulders up around our ears. Um, those sort of people will often, after a run, complain of, of neck pain and, and sometimes yeah. headaches and shoulder pain just from holding that constantly tight. Um, so we like to have those relaxed. The arms should be, you know, we want to see a bend at, bend at the elbow, a little bit less or 
little bit more bend than, than uh, 90 degrees. Um, and we want to see the arms moving forwards and back. So we don't want to see the arms crossing the midline. If you sort of look at, if you, you know, to draw a line straight down the middle of your body and you're, you're moving your arms back and forth, we don't want to see the arms crossing over that midline there because that tends to, and, and in fact, if you actually do that on the, on the spot now, but if you have your arms going back yeah. and forth and if they're going across you, what that will tend to do is put a lot of rotation yeah. going through your body. So, so the arms going forwards and back. Um, one of the other things too that we see with, with arm swinging is, is people carrying things when they run. So whether that's carrying their phone, a drink bottle or, you know, or a, 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 um, a dog on the lead. Um, and all those things can actually alter our arm swing and, and, yeah. uh, and affect, um, affect our technique. So I, I prefer people to, to not carry things. Um, and, and even actually having a, you know, the, the arm bands on, you still see some alterations in, in technique with that. They, they don't move that as freely as what they do the other one so my preference is always to put um put any any item around you around you, your waist and there's a um you know there's a number of things a number of belts you can get one's called a, a spy belt which is like a um a, a neoprene i think it's made of but you just put you can put your phone your keys and everything everything in that there and that holds it still allows your arms to be nice and nice yeah. and relaxed um and uh actually one one um one lady uh, we we assessed once um and uh she was holding her arm quite uh, quite stiff and uh, and i said oh you're holding that left arm a bit uh, a bit stiff there and she goes oh, oh actually that's the arm that i that i hold the uh, the dog lead in so yeah. and because every run that she'd go out she was holding the dog there um that was now part of her that was in training and part of her her normal running gait um and uh and so so for that i mean if you to get around that alternating sides, you know, swapping from left to right. Otherwise, you actually can get uh, get waistbands to uh, to put the uh, the dog leads on. Uh, uh. Swing, uh, and probably the, the, the next thing that we want to see is uh, is um, is cadence. Now, what cadence is is, is cadence is, is how many times your your feet are hitting ground within a minute of running. Um, ideal cadence that we want to see for runners is it's, it's a range between 170 and, and 180. Um, a lot of the listeners may have, have, have read on this topic and you know, a lot of people around saying, oh, 180 is the magic number. There's, there's no magic number. There's, there's more a range that we want to see. Um, how do we count that? Well, simply go for, you go for a run, time yourself for a minute and count how many times your feet are, feet are hitting the ground in that, ta- in that minute. So... Um, what we what we tend to find is that with most runners tend to be around sort of 160 165 um, and some of the issues that we see with that with that lower cadence which which aren't so favorable is that they tend to have a lot of excessive up and down movement so they're sort of really moving up and down right. um, sometimes these runners you'll you'll be able to hear from a mile away because they'll be you know they'll be pounding the pavement um, these are the angry runners we call them um, so there's a, a lot of that excessive up and down movement there uh, and that's very inefficient for the body and also um, creates a lot more impact forces going through the legs um the other one the other issue that we tend to see with those with the with a a lower cadence is that they um they tend to land a a long way out in front of their center of mass so they tend to land out in front of their body now the issue if if you're trying to propel yourself forward and moving forward and you're landing out in front of your, your center of mass that's basically, you know, it's just going to be acting like a break, isn't it? Yeah. So that's going to be making you inefficient, and it's also going to be sending a lot of lot of impact forces um, uh, straight up, uh, straight up back into you. So um, that there's some of the faults that we tend to see in in um, 
uh, in those with a lower cadence. Um, there was actually a, a recent prospective study done by uh, Ludke and uh, they found that those with a step rate of, of less than 164 were about six and a half times, I think it was 6.6 times more likely to experience a shin injury compared to those that were above 174. Okay, so that was on the lower side, was yep. six, over six and a half times more likely to suffer a shin injury than uh, than those that with, the, with that that higher cadence. So, so the cadence that's that's um that's probably the 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 next thing. There's a few other other slight ones, but they're sort of the the, the big fish that we that we want to we want to see. Um, there's been a lot of discussion going around about um you know about heel striking and, and forefoot striking. So um, for those that haven't heard that, you know, there's there's three ways basically to um, to land when you when your foot hits the ground. One is landing on your heel, and that's called heel striking. One is landing on the on the more flatter, that's called a midfoot strike, and one's landing more initially on the on the front of the toes, and that's called a forefoot striking. Now, firstly, people are very uh, there's been studies that look at this, and people are, are very um, poor at judging their own um, foot, stri- foot striking patterns. So I get patients coming into into me for, for assessments and, and saying, "Oh yeah, I'm a four foot striker," and, and you, you you assess them and, and they're not. Um, so people are very poor at judging their own, uh, unless you've got a video actually videoing yourself and, and see what you're doing. Um, but secondly, the other thing is it, it doesn't tend to matter that that much. We we the work that that I do. Um, Oh, it's never never a focus of, of what we what we're trying to change. We we never really try and change foot strike. It, it tends to happen as you as you make other changes. So it's more a consequence of the, of the changes that you make to to someone's running stride. But um, for instance, if, if you increase their their, um, their, foot, their cadence, they do tend to land with land uh, with a flatter foot. So rather rather than landing so much on and heavy on the heel, they do tend to land a little bit flatter. But it's not it's never never something we try and change. It, it just happens uh, happens naturally. Um, and, and there's been a number of studies just with with running technique and, and looking at, at at altering technique. So what does changing someone's technique do? And um, for when they're when they're suffering from from um, uh, injuries and and there's been uh, namely with um, patellofemoral pain. So that's uh, that's also called runner's knee. There's been a lot of studies that have shown that changing uh, changing technique can be um, actually can result in in very rapid changes in in, uh, in pain. Also the other one is uh, is exertional compartment syndrome too, and that. That's actually been been my findings in, in clinic too, and working with with a number of, of injured runners is that you can make these changes, and um, you know f- from them not being able to run at all to then being able to run with with very minimal pain uh, immediately. So so these changes um, can be can be immediate. Um, and you know what are we doing when we're changing someone's technique? Well, we are we are changing stresses, you know, and and um, uh, if we're, we're increasing someone's cadence, um, you know, we're changing brings tend to be spring stress away from the knee, and we're putting it in towards more of the foot and the ankle. Um, so you've got to be you've got to be careful sometimes with making these changes. It, it's it's something that um, uh, that I do recommend is is done under the the. Uh, supervision of someone that knows what they're doing because yep. um, I've seen this happen where people have gone out and, and they've read, oh, yep, four foot striking is good. I want to go out and I'm going to land on my front of my toes and then they come in with, with issues through their through their Achilles and, and their foot because they've just done something that, uh, that they, they should never have done. Um, so running technique yep really important um for beginners it's a fantastic way to um um to you know to when you're starting off running is to to make sure you're starting off right with uh, with some good technique and uh much like anything you learn learn from learn right from the beginning the uh the journey will be a lot more uh, a lot more enjoyable some terrific advice so i mean in encapsulate 
encapsulating what you've said, Luke, you've talked about cadence, strength, mobility, endurance, posture. Would you say that if you could teach Usain Bolt, he has the most perfect running technique? Is it is he the best you've seen? You know, or... uh, no, he actually doesn't. I mean, this is, the stuff that we're talking about here is is um, uh, is more to do with the, the distance running. So okay. right. um, Usain Bolt, obviously being a sprinter, is is quite different. I mean, you see yep. him, uh, you know, he's, he's right up on his toes pretty the entire race. Um, massive, big arm swing, yep. um, but but there's also been you know, recently in the lead up to um, to the um, the recent uh, championships in London. You know, there's a lot of criticism about his uh, his asymmetry and people picking on his his differences from left to right. So right. Um, he's uh, um, you know, look, he's, he's an absolutely uh, legendary runner, and and you know there've been some examples of some some very good athletes with some quite poor technique. Um, Paula Radcliffe is is one. Um, Emil Zadapek is another one as well, okay. another distance runner who, who yeah. uh, quite they, they had some some shocking technique. Um, I mean, they certainly had their injury issues as well over the years. So yeah. who knows what what sort of contrib- contribution that uh, that made? Um, but when you when you're dealing with elite runners and and, uh, and technique, you, you do have to be very careful about about what you change on them. You've got to you've got to really think about you know how that is going to affect their uh, affect their performance. So. Yeah. Um, but when you're dealing with with someone that's starting off, it's it's not as much a concern because they're starting off at zero. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure whether those critiquers, if you say, but they, they they never really got faster than he's ever got. So. No, no, <laughs> that's right. No one ever has. So. <laughs> no, exactly. He's, he's the man in front of him. Everyone's chasing him in regards. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. that's right. I just should actually say those those people that were picking on his asymmetry yes. were also the ones that that uh, when he broke down and got injured in that in that oh, race were the ones told you saying, so. "See, I told you so." Oh, that's, that's right. right. Exactly. <laughs> so I had to have a bit of a chuckle at that. I think his records uh, <laughs> spoke for itself, though, didn't it? Really, it's Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, now just. Uh, <laughs> I suppose like a final part of the area of the armory of a runner is they're running shoes. What's what's your advice there with running? And also, you know, a lot of people talk about this barefoot running. Can you give our listeners on back chat some insight on on that as well? Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, the there's certainly been a lot of misconceptions about shoes in the past, and um, and whilst whilst a, a, a good running shoe can can assist you, um, it's it's not as important as, as some of the stuff that we've we've spoken about before. So, you know, if you if with a, even with the, the best shoe in the world, if you've got pretty poor loading if you're doing too much too soon you're going to get hurt so shoes are certainly part of the picture but they're not as big a picture as as some some you know i suppose the running shoe companies themselves would 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 lead you to believe um it's it's sort of being you know it's confusing for for uh, consumers runners and 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 also practitioners in in over the last few decades is to you know how do we we, we fit someone out for a running shoe I mean we used to uh, you know we used to think it was simple that you put basically people into three categories that are either you know they're either a pronator so that means that they yep. they really rolled in on their feet um, they were neutral so they you know they stayed what was normal, um, in parenthesis, whatever normal meant, uh, okay. and then they were, they were supernated, so those that sort of had a higher arch and and, um, uh, and, and didn't, uh, didn't tend to roll in as much. Now, there's been certainly some, some pretty big flaws poked in, in those, in that, that categorisation in, the, in the, last, uh, the last decade especially. Um, there was a few studies done by, by NAPIC that basically showed that um, prescribing shoes on arch height did not reduce did not reduce injuries, and in fact, giving 
pronators, pronation shoes was actually had the highest rate of injuries. So, um, so doing it that way is is, uh, is, is not very effective. Um, we also know that simply looking at the, the the arch of someone's foot just doesn't actually tell you what it does when they're when they're running. Uh, and that was a study done by by Langley in 2015. So, you know, I get a lot of a lot of patients coming into me saying, "Oh, Luke, I've got I've got really badly pronated feet." You know, and you look at them, and yeah, as they're standing there, they might have a, a lower arch, but you know, then you get them up on the treadmill and you watch them running and. And you know what? They, they don't have huge amounts of, of, uh, of that rolling in movement or, you know, it's, it's not uh, not sustained for, for a period of time. So so simply by looking at someone's feet doesn't actually tell you what um, what it's doing when, when we're uh, when it's moving. Um, the other thing, the other, the other misconception about that too is that, you know, we're, we're sort of led to believe that, that pronation is bad, you know, it's, it's, it's the devil. Um, but pronation is actually a necessary movement. Pronation is, is something that we want because it's a normal shock of absorption uh, mechanism for, for the body. Um, so that's sort of going off what we used to prescribe shoes on. We used to prescribe those 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 three types. It's sort of there's a movement away from it. No runner's world in, in terms of their shoe categorization are, are moving away from it, but it's still there. And most of the, the shoe stores that you'll go to, you know, shoe the uh, the, the um, guys in the stores will still you know categorize you into into those three. So. So what, what do we look for in a shoe? Well, really the most important thing, it, it tends to be comfort. Um, yeah. So you putting on a shoe, how's it feel, Paul? Is it, is it comfortable? Yeah, right. Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, let, let's go with that. And that, that was a, a, you know, a theory proposed by a, a Swiss biomechanist, uh, Ben O'Nig, who's done a lot of work over the last uh, – well, I don't know. Thirty years. He's, he's uh, contributed a lot of, of, of research okay. to uh, a lot of body research to uh, to this topic, and and that's sort of where, where he's at. Is is uh, saying, yeah, run run with uh, put on with whatever comfortable. Um, you know, you don't have to go with the, the most expensive pair of shoes. You know, there is there is a lot of fancy marketing in the in the uh, the shoe wear industry, and and uh, the most expensive shoes aren't the best. We don't need all the, all the fancy uh, fancy contraptions and everything on there. Um, the other, the other recommendation I'd make for shoes. So, firstly, we want, we want it to be comfortable. We want it to you know, it needs to fit. So, it must not be too tight around the uh, the front part of your foot, the forefoot there. Um, the, sh- the foot shouldn't be sliding around in the, in the shoe. Yep. So, we want to have a nice nice fit there. Feels comfortable um, with the, with the cushioning that you're comfortable with too. Um, I, t- I tend to avo- advise the least cushioning that you feel comfortable with. So, rather than having a big, big, big built-up bulky shoe um, to have the least the least cushioning in there. Um, that also does help with weight as well. So generally, I, I prefer people running in, in lightweight. We know that for every 100 grams of, of, of shoe that you have on, uh, it reduces your running economy by 1%. So we want lightweight lightweight shoes, comfortable shoes. Um, you know, there's, there's very little, unfortunately, there's very little evidence that, that shoes actually reduce the risk of injury. Um, but the one thing that can increase your injuries is changing your shoes um you know making a large change in shoes too quickly so if you're used to building running with a, a big, big bulked up shoe and you're thinking oh i might try something a bit different um you want to do that so do that gradually and sort of going scaling down in, in, in different models um and, and my suggestion for that is if, you, if you're going to be changing quite drastically that you, you want to be doing it at least five well no more than five percent a week so five percent of running in those new shoes um you want to do that uh, in, in a week um, it also helps to have 
multiple pairs of shoes so and different pairs of shoes um like what we spoke about before with um with running on on trails and, and different uh, different surfaces you know running is so repetitive so we want to we want to mix that up as, as much as possible so so having you know two or three pairs that you rotate through during the uh, during the week is okay. is, a, is a great idea to uh, to to add some add some variety um, the other question people ask about shoes is too is, is when do I when do I replace them? Uh, and you know typically the, the, the standard figures being given is you know 600 to 800 kilometres there. It's time to it's time to throw the shoes away. Um, but really, I'll, I'll tell patients that it, we just want to look for visible signs of wear. So if, if the top of the shoe is starting to go, the bottom of the shoe is starting to wear, then it's, it's time to go. I don't tend to worry about so much about how, how far they've done in them. Um, there, there were studies done uh, back in the 80s by, by Cook, I think it was 1985, and they, 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 showed, they actually showed that the, the greatest amount of deterioration occurs within the first 10 miles. So um, that's, uh, that, that actually happens quite quickly in that by by about 80 k's, you've lost about 25% of the shock absorption in your shoes. You've lost a quarter by by 80 k's, um, and then it sort of slowly peters out from slowly deteriorates from then. Um, keep in mind though that this is back in the 80s, and it, it's, it's the foams have, have have changed since that time. So yeah. um, there haven't been that those those studies repeated or at least publicised uh, um, published anyway. Um, so yeah, visible, visible sign of wear. So going off shoes that are, going off shoes that are comfortable, going off shoes that are that are light. Um, this is the second part of your question about uh, about barefoot running. Yeah, um, barefoot. So yeah, barefoot barefoot running is, is certainly gained a lot of uh, a lot of momentum, a lot of attention after uh, probably from two thousand nine when Chris McDougall wrote wrote his book Born to Run, and, and uh, I don't know if you have read that that Paul. It's it's it's, a, it's actually a really good book. Um, is that quite, Bruce, uh, Bruce Springsteen? Was it Bruce Born to Run? No, no, oh, no, no Chris, McDougall, oh, Chris McDougall. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, Chris McDougall. Yeah, yeah, Chris McDougall. I don't know. That's right. Exactly. That, that okay, was a good sorry. song. That was a good song. Yeah. But, uh, no, no, rather, rather, rather different topic there. Um, but um, uh, so his uh, his book, and then also um, uh, added fuel to the fire by a guy named uh, Daniel Lieberman, um, who was an evolutionary um, uh, biologist. Uh, he reduced a study in 2010 showing that that um, habitually barefoot runners land more on the, the front part of their foot uh, and that they had a, a more favourable um, impact, uh, transient Im- impact forces. So those sort of two things together created sort of quite a bit of a uh, bit of a movement there and everyone was saying, yeah, barefoot, barefoot running is the way to go, barefoot running is the way to go. Now, in my opinion and, and you know, having having read a lot of the research on it and, uh, you know, done, done um, a lot of um, barefoot running myself, and and uh, and seen others that have done the same. Barefoot running can be a, a good tool for some people um, to help, uh, especially to help with their, their running technique. So some people just don't get it. I mean, <coughs> an example might be you know those that are really hitting the ground quite hard. I might just say to them, okay, look, just take your shoes off and just just run just you know ten meters down this this strip of this strip of concrete here, and uh, and just see how you're landing. And, and straight away they actually start to land a lot softer. They can they can it starts to increase a bit and um, and I said okay now put your shoes on and, and try and replicate the same thing there again so so that barefoot running can, can serve a good tool to help sort of dial you into your, your technique a little bit better um, some people love the feeling of, of, of barefoot running and, and they want to you know they want to do all their running barefoot um, and uh, and that's that's the way they choose to do my um, obviously my recommendation there is to is to do that um, uh, very slowly, uh, especially if you're used to running with uh, running with shoes. Um, 
a colleague and and uh, a friend of mine and, and also founder of, of Enhanced Running, um, Pete Garbett. He's written a book um, uh, called The Running Machine, um, and that discusses that sort of transition. He just he talks about shoes and also talks a lot about techniques. So for those interested in, in learning more, uh, that's that's a really good uh, really good book to to read. Um, so the uh, no, not everyone should be running should be running yeah. barefoot. There's a lot of people that will never run barefoot, and yeah. they, they shouldn't do it. Um, there's, a, there's a number of prerequisites that people need to have um, before they before they, uh, they they venture into into doing that. Um, the other thing that's sort of branched off from that, um, tying in the the barefoot and the shoe wear, is is what's called the minimalist shoes, uh, and that's been a term that's that's been um, been given to a, to a category of shoes that are a, a lesser shoe. Um, there's been attempts to um, to categorise, you know, what is a minimalist shoe? Because um, in the past it's been pretty loose. You know, they could anyone could sort of say, well, you know, this is a minimalist shoe, um, and it's, it's it's quite ranging throughout uh, throughout all the different uh, the different shoe shoe brands. Um, but minimalist shoes can be a good a good sort of midway point for some people that they want. You know, I want a little bit of lesser shoe. I want a lighter shoe. You know, I don't want so much cushing. I, I sort of like to feel things underneath uh, underneath my feet a bit more, and that's where a minimalist shoe can um, can. can can come in, uh, come in handy, um, and you know that's something that, that I personally will run with. It's part of part of my rotation. So I've got sort of three pairs of shoes that I'll that I'll uh, I'll switch around. Um, and having a, a minimalist shoe is uh, a Vivo barefoot um, makes some some great minimalist shoes there. Um, and that's the sort of part of my my rotation there. Um, there was actually a study by Fuller in uh, early on this year, 2017, um, and he looked at the effects of, of six weeks of training in minimalist shoes or, or, or um, transitioning into minimalist shoes okay. um, and looked at that um, compared to a control group, and they actually found that um, there was an improvement in a 5K time trial um, by 21 seconds between the minimalist shoes and the control group. So these, these are all they would all done the same amount of training, um, but the minimalist shoes have been able to uh, to increase their time trial by, by 21 seconds and the mechanism for which they still don't there's theories as to why that happened but they, they don't know exactly why um, it wasn't just the weight of the shoe but something made those uh, made those runners better and um, um, so, so minimalist shoes can also be be a, a good uh, a good tool that that, uh, that people can can do. Um, if we look at the studies that have compared barefoot running and and, uh, and shoes, um, we see some conflicting results on on uh, running economy. So that's how efficient a runner is, um, and there hasn't been anything that's 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 looked at injury rates yet. Um, so we, we sort of I think there are some there are a couple of studies that are being conducted at the moment. So we sort of wait to uh, wait to see the the results of, of that. Um, but shoes um, at, at this point, the shoes do look like they do um, have make the the runner have better running economy. So they, they make us a bit more a bit more efficient. So some sort of shoe makes us a bit more efficient. Well, Luke, you could keep going, couldn't you? And, uh, and oh yeah, we could, we could keep, we could keep going could, all night. I reckon we could. <laughs> I've got a bank of questions here that I want to move towards on rehab, prevention, warming up, warming down, and I. If you don't mind, we might come to the end of this podcast and maybe get you back in a subsequent podcast and we can talk about perhaps down phase, uh, rehab, prehab, all these terms and go through that. Would you mind coming back again for another podcast on running with on, on those on that framework? Love to, mate. And if, you, if, it's, uh, if, it's, if it's running, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> I, I can tell. I'm, I'm, I'm really <laughs> very impressed. I'm very impressed. So... In summation, can you give our listeners on Backchat three take-home messages based on this podcast? 
Yep, excellent. So I guess um, the first one would be uh, ensure that you're fit to run. Uh, and not just run to get fit. So that's uh, that, that mantra that I said before. So making sure we're ticking off those uh, ticking off those boxes, um, and we can provide some of those uh, those links to, to things in the uh, in the show notes sure. or on the um, um, you'll find a way to distribute those. Uh, the second one is uh, is progress slowly. So as a general rule, we don't want to be adding more than ten percent a week. So the, the vast majority of injuries we see are over overload injuries. So progress slowly. Uh, and the third one is running is a skill. So invest uh, invest time in in, uh, in refining your technique and, and mastering that skill. Fantastic, Luke. Well, look, I thank you. I mean, certainly my knowledge on running is pretty minimal and uh, I'll certainly walk away from this podcast noting that with yourself there's so much knowledge you've shared. You've, you've really, I feel, shared a real contemporary literature-based sort of coverage of everything. You've quoted many authors of, of different persuasions in, in who have been authorities in this work, no doubt. So it's great to see how you've applied that knowledge in the literature, but also provided practical applications, you know, for your own personal experiences as well as those seeing patients. So thank you so much for sharing tonight. Yeah, my, my pleasure, mate. Hopefully uh, we've inspired a few listeners and, and even yourself, Paul, to, to get out there as well and uh, and, and start uh, start running. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to have to come down and get you to check me out. <laughs> my pleasure. Now, for those who want to find out more about Luke, Luke can be contacted through other uh, either social media on Instagram or Twitter at, at, at Sports Cairo Luke or through the clinic website, chirosolutions.com.au. For more information on Enhanced Running, you can contact or visit at Enhanced Running on Instagram or the website enhancerunning.com.au. Thanks, Luke. Thanks once more. My pleasure, mate, and we'll, uh, we'll see you on next time. Excellent. We'll get you back for another podcast very soon. Thank you for listening to Backchat. To stay abreast with updates with Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Podcast. All relevant website links of today's podcast will be on our Backchat Podcast Facebook page. If you like this show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We leave you one thought. Be the best of what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat Podcast. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.